Hello Internet, Colin here, I'm the pastor at Trinity Church Woodcroft, thanks for tuning in. Um, this sermon didn't record at church as we preached it, so uh, here I am in my garden um, recording it again. So if you don't hear any birdsong or delivery trucks, that's why. So this is looking at Hebrews chapter 8, all of the chapter verses 1 to 13, and I've called this talk A Better Covenant. Well, have you noticed vinyl records have made a comeback in a big way? So in the UK, apparently, vinyl revenue is up 30% year on year uh, to the highest total since 1989. Uh, UK sales of vinyl jumped 11% year on year, um, 13 consecutive years of growth. So meaning that 2021 is likely to be the year in which revenues from LPs, remember them, overtake those from CDs for the first time since 1987. So why do you reckon that is? Well, I think it's because people like the physical ritual, you know, taking the record out of the sleeve, being actively involved in the, in the physical process of making the music play, you know, dropping the needle on the record, pulling the record out of its dust sleeve. It's more of an event. And you get the artwork more tangibly in, in large format, especially if you've got a gatefold album cover. I think the main thing is that a record is tangible, physical. You can see it and hold it. I mean, it's, it's not the actual music, is it? But it's a solid indicator of you owning the music, much more than just pushing a button on a streaming service. You can be associated with the music in a, in a comforting way, without even ever listening to the music. It's returning to something more physical, visible, tangible. Well, we're returning to this letter to the Hebrews. So it's a letter or a sermon written to Christians from a Jewish background. And they're under pressure to give up on Jesus. You know, people around them are saying... Uh, why are you changing up your whole life for this Jesus who you can't even see? Why would you want to give up all the rituals and sacrifices and, and going on holidays to the magnificent temple every year? All those certain tangible comforting traditions that you've known your whole life that our people have been practicing for centuries and now you want to give it all up for your invisible Messiah? There's a real temptation for them to give up on trusting and living for Jesus, and instead go back to trusting in the old, tangible, physical ways of doing things. So the letter, this letter to the Hebrews then is a good long look at how Jesus is better than all of that, better in every way than returning to and keeping the old covenant ceremonial laws and rituals that aren't needed anymore because Jesus has fulfilled what they're all about. And what about for us? You know, most of us aren't tempted to be going back to trusting in going back to Jewish rituals. But all of us, I reckon, are very good at going back to trusting religion. That is, trusting in doing enough things in the right way to help us feel good enough about being or close enough to God. And the world we live in is saturated in a worldview that all there is is only what we can see and touch and hear. Although nobody actually lives, as though that's true. We live in a world where online mockers laugh at us for talking to our invisible friend. Well, Hebrews is written to counter all that. 
to give us confidence in Jesus. So two main points for this talk. Jesus is the right man in the right place and Jesus gifts us a better deal. Jesus the right man in the right place and Jesus gets us in on a better deal. First then, Jesus is the right man in the right place. So looking at chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not a mere human being. All right, so we probably need to remind ourselves about high priest and the sanctuary and the tabernacle and later on we'll think about what covenant means. Well, in the sea, in the wilderness and later on in the promised land, God was with his chosen people, Israel. He was present with him in a particular, special, tangible way in the sanctuary. So a special reserved area. At first, that was in the tent or meeting or tabernacle that they carried around. And later in the temple in Jerusalem. And lots of the old covenant law God gave them was to deal with the fact that he, the perfect holy God, who can tolerate no sin, how he was going to be able to dwell so directly amongst sinful humanity. So God set things up in a particular people will be priests to represent the people before God by approaching him very carefully in very specific God-ordained ways. They would bring the sacrifices that people had made before God. There was a hierarchy, and the high priest had the most important job of the year. There was a day called the Day of Atonement, where he would bring a sacrifice of a goat for the sins of of Israel, and then ceremonially place the sins of the people on another goat, which was sent out into the wilderness. And you can read all the detail of that in Leviticus 16. And that just helps us understand this idea of sanctuary and the high priest. See, the high priest would, uh, in this way, would restore God's people back into right relationship with him. And the author of Hebrews has been arguing that Jesus is better than any high priest. He can fully relate to us and represent us as a human, and yet he is eternal not temporary. He's not just a, Jesus is not just a priest, he's also God's king. And that is Jesus' sacrifice isn't just for a year and isn't just symbolic. It really does count for real. It's the real deal and it lasts forever. Now the author's going to expand on Jesus' sacrifice in chapters 9 and 10, but for now, here's a headline. Jesus is the kind of high priest that we need to be in the right to be in right relationship with God. Jesus is that right man. But I suppose Jesus could be fully qualified, but if he didn't have access to God, he wouldn't be able to mediate or advocate for us. He wouldn't be able to appeal to God on our behalf. But the good news is not only is Jesus is the right man, he's the right man in the right place. Exactly where God is in heaven in the real sanctuary. You see, when God gave Moses the plans for the tabernacle, which later the temple was based on, it wasn't just being random. So from verse 5, they, that is the ordinary high priest, serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned 
when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So where ordinary priests served was just like only having the blueprints, like important in its time and place in God's plan, but only a copy, only a shadow, not the real thing. Uh, my wife Sharon and I recently went to the Van Gogh Alive experience and it was really it really was a great experience, very immersive and engaging. But honestly, it wasn't quite as thrilling as a couple of years before that when we went to see the Impressionist exhibition at the art gallery. See, because the Van Gogh Alive exhibition was digital representations of uh, Van Gogh's work. And now, it was really cool, you know, um, animated and moved around and on huge screens. But at the art gallery with those Impressionist painting, I was looking at the very same canvas that Monet himself had been working on. I was looking at the very same blobs of paint that Monet himself had put on there. It was a real thing. It felt a much closer connection to the artist. Similarly with the priests in the sanctuary. You see, if normal priests, if it, say they, it was like they had the recordings on vinyl, but Jesus is in the recording studio with the artist himself. Jesus is in God's real throne room, seated, it says. That means his work is done. And at God's right hand, that's in biblical terms, that's the position of rule and authority. So it's not like Jesus is there having to plead with God the Father every time we sin or distract him so that he doesn't notice. No, Jesus is the perfect priest and his perfect sacrifice of himself is effective for everything we ever have done or ever will do wrong against God or his people or this world. So when we approach God, we're not condemned. Instead, we receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. So I wonder, do you ever stop and think, where is Jesus right now? And what is he doing right now? Well, we know from this passage he's in heaven. It's the resurrected human being, Jesus, who's ruling the universe right now. Yet he also told his disciples that we would be better off, that we'd somehow know Jesus being with us more if he ascended to heaven and he sent us his Holy Spirit instead. Now that's huge uh, ideas about the Trinity that we can spend a lifetime getting our heads around. But what we, ca what we do know is this, that Jesus is in direct contact with the Father. That Jesus lives in us by his Spirit. And so we, through him, we have direct access to God the Father. So we don't need to pray to saints or to Mary. And if we did, I'm sure they'd be dying to tell us if they could speak to us. They'd be saying, what are you talking to me for? Go to God directly. Jesus died for you to have that privilege. Jesus has won us a backstage pass that means we can pray to him now with confidence. And know that when we're in our resurrection body, 
bodies, will enjoy his direct presence in person. So the point for our author's Jewish audience is, Jesus is the real deal, in the real place. Why would you settle for the copy? Why make do with the Lego model when you can have access to the real thing? See, what you had before was made by God to show you this ultimate reality, to point to it. So don't get hung up on the scale concept model. Don't get stuck on the signposts. Trust in Jesus, who brings you real grace and real relationship with God. Believer or not, I reckon we all sense that that there is a place to be, a finish line, a place of victory, a place of peace. And there is. Enjoying God's presence in right relationship with him in his sanctuary. His sanctuary that will one day become the whole new heaven and earth. That sanctuary is where Jesus is now, giving us a direct line to God. So Jesus is the right man in the right place who gets us in on a better deal. Our second heading, Jesus gets us in on a better deal. See, Jesus gets us into, he makes us members and beneficiaries of the new covenant. So a covenant is a a binding contract that establishes the terms of relationship. A binding contract that establishes the terms of relationship. So you might remember when we looked at Abraham in Genesis 22, God made a covenant with him, which was basically, God said, trust me, take me out of my word and kings and nations will come from you. You'll have more offspring than you can count. Um, they'll get their own land and eventually they'll be a blessing to all nations. Then later on, uh, after rescuing Israel from Egypt, God fleshed out the old covenant with uh, Israel as his chosen nation and he gave Moses their covenant law so that meant God's people weren't left wondering how to respond to God now the law was the covenant law was a great thing because he God laid out in detail including all the ceremonial stuff that allowed them to draw near to his presence Uh, follow this law God said teach it to your kids and the promise is you'll have a good happy life that is you'll be the envy of the nations you'll materially have more than you ever need and don't worry this law has got included in it loads of parties and feasts every year and best of all you'll know my blessing you'll know good relationship with me says God which begs the question if the old covenant was so good why did God make a new one chapter 8 Hebrews 8 verse 7 for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant no place would have been sought for another verse 8 but God found fault with the people Uh, continuing verse 9 because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them declares the Lord so there's nothing wrong with the covenant itself the problem is with God's chosen people's inability to keep their side of the bargain the fault is God's people prove persistently unfaithful to God but all was not lost through the prophet Jeremiah God had promised a new covenant and this is what the author quotes from Jeremiah 21 sorry 31 
in Hebrews 8, verse 8. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. So it's this new long-promised new covenant that Jesus has fulfilled and brought us into. In the Old Testament, whenever God made a covenant, there was always the blood of an animal sacrifice involved in it. It was a way of saying, the people making the covenant together, saying, I'm betting my life on this contract. If I break it, may what's happened to this animal happen to me. A way of taking it really seriously, a way of de-glamorising sin and showing how serious and deadly it is. So blood sealing the covenant, that being a sign of the covenant. That helps us understand what Jesus is saying at his Last Supper, Passover meal. Words that we use every time we have communion together in church. So from Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus is saying there that his death on the cross is inaugurating, setting off in motion, the promised new covenant. So let's look at what is better about this new covenant. And I'm going to do that in reverse order to help us see how it starts with Jesus. So if it would help if you got in front of you uh, Hebrews 8 verses 10 to 12. I'm going to start at verse 12 and work backwards. Verse 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So that means we can only enter this covenant on the basis of being forgiven. And Jesus' blood is the basis of us entering this covenant because it's his blood, his death on the cross, that means we can be forgiven. See, this covenant is different to all the ones that have come before because all the cost and consequence of our unfaithfulness to it is paid up front by Jesus on the cross. He's already borne the cost. So God doesn't remember our sin. That, that doesn't mean God's got selective amnesia. I mean, in the Bible, God remembering, that means God acting. He's remembering, some, means he's paying attention to something with a view to taking action on it. But in Jesus, he's already taken all the action he needs to on our sin. And so we are forgiven, off the hook, in the clear, declared right with God. Have you experienced that forgiveness? Do you need reminding of it? Yes, we've rebelled, all of us. And yes, we will do bad things again, probably shameful things. But in the final analysis, God won't remember them. Instead, he'll remember Jesus' Jesus' perfection and his death in our place if our trust is in him. We're forgiven, and so, verse 11, we have a personal connection with God. Verse 11, no longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, 
because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. In the Old Covenant, all God's people were included in it, but only a few really lived it. Only a few had a genuine personal relationship with God. For many, he was just part of their national identity. In the New Covenant, every Christian has a direct personal relationship with God. So you don't need a priest or a saint or a ritual or anything else. There is no big cheese Christian who, is a, who has a special connection to God that is not available to you. You can talk to God directly in your own words. Hebrews 4.16 puts it like this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You can know God through his word, the Bible, as his spirit in you brings it alive and brings it home to your heart. So here's the benefits. that So far the new covenant, we're forgiven. We have a personal relationship with God. not And this new covenant is internal, not external. So verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their people and they will be my people. Uh, sorry, I will be their God and they will be my people. See, in the old covenant, I could read the Ten Commandments every day. I remember in our church growing up, they were always on the wall. But that didn't make me any better at obeying them. Or I could go through all the motions uh, back in the day as, a, as an Israelite. I could go through all the motions of the ceremonial law without even giving God a passing thought. But in the new covenant, God gives us a love for him in our hearts, an internal desire to obey him right at the core of who we are, at our centre of will and decision making, our hearts and minds. See, God has taken care of that failure problem by changing us from the inside out, putting it in our hearts to keep this covenant. Now, of course, living under the curse of sin in the world here and now, we see this only incompletely, only in part. But believe it, if your faith is in Jesus, God is giving you a new record to play and the desire to play it and the ability to play it louder and louder as you grow and mature in Christ. And when Jesus returns and perfects all those who belong to him, all that we'll be playing will be in perfect harmony with God. Forgiveness, real personal relationship with God and the God-given ability to stay in this covenant until Jesus returns. So you see the author's point? How great is this new deal? How great is Jesus who won us this deal? Jesus is the real thing, the one that all that old covenant stuff was pointing to so how utterly bonkers would it be knowing the real deal to go back to the copy to go back to the temple rituals and ceremonies that are only the shadow of what you're trusting now only the promotional leaflet 
They were right in their time and place. But now Jesus has fulfilled them and made them defunct, obsolete. So don't go back. So let's just spend a couple of minutes drawing out the implications for us here and now today. You know, I've got in my garage at home this big box of old cables, you know, SCART leads, old phone chargers, audio and uh, video cables, because you just never know, do you? You know, they might come in handy one day. I don't want to be caught needing that exact obscure lead from 1998 because I threw out the old one I had. Of course, I don't need them, do I? I should just take them to recycling. But I think our tendency can be to do the same with religion. We hold on to resolving to do good things or carry out certain practices in order to help ourselves feel close to God, in order to get God to accept us. It's so easy to add things to the gospel. You know, you need Jesus plus. But the truth is, I don't need those old leads. And we don't need to butter God up into accepting us. Jesus has won our forgiveness. You are forgiven if you trusted in him. And that doesn't stop us doing good works. That frees us up to do good works. But not for our sake, not to save ourselves anymore, but to do good works purely in gratitude and worship and all for God's sake. The new covenant means it means we need to be careful in how we do church so that we don't give the idea that there are rituals or practices that must be done to get close to God. You know, the Church of England church that I grew back, grew up in back in the UK had a communion rail at the back with an altar behind it. And just visually it gave that impression that there was this sort of special bit. I think it was even called the sanctuary. But can you see how that's wrong? That's, can you see how that's returning to the copy? Returning to ideas of the shadow? Now, thankfully, growing up, all the rectors that I knew, we they just kind of ignored it, and we, the communion was from a table nearer the front. Look, no doubt each of us have our own things, our own ways that help us feel, that help us to focus on God, help us to feel connected to him, help us to hear from him. But where we might go wrong is in prescribing our preferences, our personal preferences, as the way to be close to God. But we are in Jesus. He is in us. So we are already as close to God as we can be. However much or little we happen to be feeling it today. But maybe today you find you're not all that bothered about being able to be close to God. Or maybe you're feeling that actually you'd quite like to keep your distance. Well, to return to our record analogy, that's because sin has warped and scratched our records about God. But the more time we spend getting to know God in high fidelity from his word, the Bible, and in prayer, the more we'll enjoy him 
and the more we'll want him to enjoy us. And just as music is better enjoyed in a crowd at a concert, so is getting to know God enjoyed better amongst other people. What a finish then. God has written his new covenant on our hearts. You are changed. You will keep changing. And you will ultimately be completely perfected. So be confident in Jesus. Through him, we have direct access to God. Not a shadow, not a copy, not a recording. We have a backstage pass to the artist himself. And with his spirit in us, we've got the desire and the ability to obey him. Directly downloading into our hearts. Thanks for listening.